On this episode, I interviewed Jamie Buziotis, who is the head of strength conditioning at Melbourne Strength Culture. The main topic of this podcast was training the general population client or clients that used to play sport. So the other topics that we go dive into related to this, Jamie expands on redefining what gen pop is. So a lot of people aren't too interested in training general population, but with the population he trains, which is that 20 to 30-year-old uh, person that used to play sport, uh, he, he talks about how he thinks about it and how it's not always as mundane as people think. Another point he makes is sport is often a limiting factor in, in how you can train. So you have to obviously make sport a priority, whereas these people, you're allowed to push and, and do a little bit more than you would with your normal athlete. We talk about differences in exercise selection, different ways he trains these athletes. We talk about how he pairs their goals with how he trains and how motivation can sometimes shift over their training period and how he adapts to that. We also talk about training and dealing around their previous injuries that they've had uh, with sports. So it's a little bit different episode, but it's another really good one. So great episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Jan- Jamie Buziotis, who is a head of strength and conditioning at Melbourne Strength Culture. So thank you very much for taking the time to be on. Uh, if you first just want to give a little bit of background on yourself, how you got into strength and conditioning, how you got to Melbourne Strength Culture, and kind of what you do now, and then we can go from there. Yeah, sweet. Well, thanks for having me on first. Um, I guess, you know, I, as most, uh, I guess, everywhere, lived a pretty athletic, you know, teenage years um my main sport was boxing and muay thai um and it is a pretty like physical sport and as a result had my fair share of injuries and i guess my first sort of exposure to strength training was my dad um like i i i'm hypermobile i've subluxed shoulders and dislocated shoulders um hundreds of times um and my old man's way of treating it was you know in the 80s for shoulders we did lateral raises and <laughs> we just did bro workouts and I'm like, you know, 16 years old, I'm getting a bit of muscle through my delts and, and my traps. Like, this is actually pretty pretty cool. I don't know how much it's actually, you know, helping the uh, the integrity of my shoulder joint, but uh, like for boxing purposes, that is, but I'm looking better. So <laughs> let's go with this. And then from that, you just go the, the typical bodybuilding.com route and just read everything you can from there and you go from the bro bodybuilding splits to fighting t-nation and then realizing that this is actually a a potential career pathway um i went to the my first uni uh sort of open day and i was going to do business um and i'm like this just this looks miserable and then (laughs) uh, in the exercise and sports science faculty and look the degree itself wasn't exactly the most enjoyable thing I i don't think i had the same appreciation for anatomy and physiology that i do now and looking back on it, I sort of wish I did. Um, but even then, like up second year, I, I was just like, well, I don't even know if I want to do this until I did my first placement, uh, my first internship, which was with the athletic development college working with high school students. And I'm like, shit, this is actually a career pathway. I'm not just a, a you know, glorified personal trainer with an exercise and sports science degree. Like there's something I can actually do with this. Um, and did that, loved it. You know, I'd, I'd went from not being the, the best student to really like immersing myself in the internship and then, you know, the associated readings with athletic development. I'm like, this is actually pretty sick. Um, through that, got my first sort of job. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a job. It was sort of like a, you know, I was the high performance manager of a, <laughs> of a team and by high performance manager, I was the guy that would set up the cones and take people through a warm-up. Um, so... That was uh, at an MPL soccer club, which is like our, you know, well, it's the second rank of like semi-professional um, soccer here. And that was good. I got an exposure to it, got an exposure to working with athletes um, and like the whole the whole Brett B thing, like buy-in. Like I didn't know what buy-in was until I went to a club like that. And especially in soccer where the culture isn't exactly, um, you know, let's get jacked. This is going to make me better at my sport. It's... 
it was tough. <laughs> it was really tough. Um, but, you know, learn on the job. And I, luckily, I had some pretty decent mentors through that. You know, went to another place, um, you know, a higher up club. And that was when, you know, at the same time, I was working at uh, Melbourne Demons with the women's there. And it just, that was where I actually got to see like an organizational structure of a, of a club. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is something else. So, like, in terms of, um, just structure, a hierarchy, like the way a team works, what they're actually doing from a rehab standpoint to a return to play, return to performance standpoint, um, you know, how you're working with players, how you structure a session for multiple players. Um, you know, like from my first gig, I, I, I realised I'm like, the, you know, the textbook doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but then as you go further and further and you see it's like, all right, numbers-wise, like the ideal is never is never what's actually going to happen in real in real life, uh, which, you know, I think all of that gave me the biggest platform for my development um, and sort of just like understanding what I liked in strength and conditioning. Like I, I didn't stick around too long, um, you know, within soccer, I saw my fair share of politics from, uh, you know, people on the board and then that drip feeding down and then it's like, all right, you know, if I just stick it out for long enough, then maybe I'll get a bone thrown to me and then I'll get somewhere and then... You know, it wasn't like that at at at, um, at Melbourne, but it was just like, all right, I'm going to be here for a long while before things start moving in a direction from a career standpoint. And personally, I don't really like sport. <laughs> like, I'm not really that into it. Like, I had guys say, oh, did you see so-and-so play on the weekend? Like, nah, who's that? Like, I had absolutely no idea. And... Um, you know, about, about Aussie rules football or even soccer. It's just I liked, really liked sports um, strength and conditioning and just strength and conditioning as a whole and, and, and what, you know, doing outside of the sport itself could potentially develop someone um, and then, you know, potentially reduce risk of injury. Um, they're just from my own experiences. And then it turned more from like, all right, well, you know, injury risk prevention is sort of like, is it a thing? And it became more of a, you know, how can we improve the chances of success of someone's return to sport post-injury? Um, and that was where I was like, all right, this is actually pretty sick. Like, I love this now. But yeah, in terms of the career itself, I was like, that, that gave me the foundation, but I really don't know if I think I can do this long-term. Um, like, I'm a bit of a control freak. And I think control in a high-performance setting is... It's it's not a real thing, <laughs> and I don't think it exists at all. Um, so, you know, I was training at Strength Culture at the time, trying to get my you know, return to to the ring. Um, and Jamie Smith, the owner, just off like he he had worked within a sports uh, club as well. He had done the whole high performance thing, interned in the US, and you know the things that he experienced without saying explicitly, it was just sort of like I think I'm I think I'm more suited to the private sector. And, and working within, you know, that realm, like having that control, having people that, you know, want to see me rather than have to see me is a big factor. Like I don't have to fight for buy-in personally. Like I really like, like I think it's a really interesting part of the job and um, it is definitely a skill like uh, to, to, to get buy-in and whatever else, but I just don't care for it. They're like too too much. Like I'd rather work with people that I really really like. Um, they like me, and if they don't like me, then they can go. Like, and I, I don't have to say like, no, you have to work with me, man. Like, it's not. It, it isn't that. Um, and plus, you can just be yourself a little more in the in the the private sector. You can really do what you want, wear what you want, just be who you are, which I found very very appealing. Um, so that's led me to where I am now, uh, and I guess you know it is a powerlifting gym, um, and I went there going from sports performance to powerlifting. You know, been told this is going to be like this is a powerlifting gym, and I'm like, man, oh God, maybe I'm a powerlifter now. Like, <laughs> let's start, let's start doing this, and I just found like personally, like it just isn't for me. Like going from something as chaotic as boxing and Muay Thai to. Um, uh, to just lifting weights and solely lifting weights, it just didn't have that same appeal. Um, and then it's like, well, you know, the athletic stuff is really interesting to me. Like jump supply metrics, really interesting. I like the feeling of getting drilled 
to the ground by a conditioning uh, workout, intervals or whatever it is, long runs. I just find the, the whole concept of endurance something to be really cool. Um, and then even the lifting, like, man, we, we didn't use the barbell like in, in you know, a sports performance setting, like we didn't need to and it didn't make sense to for a lot of the athletes. So like why do all gen pop athletes and you know people like me right now, I'm a, I'm a gen pop athlete, um, you know, why are we married to the whole, all right, well, the second that you're not playing sport anymore, you're either a bodybuilder or a powerlifter in the gym. Um, and I guess that's what started to develop my thoughts and ideas about training now. So it's essentially like... I really focus on gen pop. I get athletes that come to train because I've still got that skill and um, I feel like I still can develop an athlete and especially with rehab as well. But right now, I think it's very more like gen pop, come to me for body comp, strength, general goals. But you end up training like an athlete. You train like a bodybuilder sometimes. You train like a powerlifter sometimes. You just do what you want based off of what you want. Um, and I think that comes with a lot of the sports performance methodology. That was really long-winded. Sorry, man. <laughs> no, no, that, that's a good summary of kind of how you've came and shaped your views and what you've experienced and where you are now but i think yeah that'll be our main topic today obviously is training uh the gen pop or post athletic career type however you want to word that so i guess first off uh when we kind of brainstorm some things like redefining general population to you what, what how do you how do you define that yourself and and um then we can kind of go from there yeah yeah, well, I guess the the whole redefining gym pop thing, I guess, would start with you know, what seemed to be the biggest fear of every exercise and sports science graduate coming through the, the course. It was like, and, and, you know, especially in, like, <laughs> Australia, like, I went to D-Community Melbourne, like, it's such a, 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 like, Victoria is so AFL dominant. It's like, everyone's like, what do you want to do? I want to work at an AFL club. And that was just it. It's like, gym pop, nah, fuck that. I don't want, sorry, can I swear? Yeah, like you can. <laughs> so, uh, it was like, man, fuck that. <laughs> I don't want to work with Gen Pop. Um, it seemed like everything, like Gen Pop to a lot of people was just like, oh, I'm just training the people that are just, have got money to get PT, that don't really care about training, it's more exercise and they're just gone to die. It's like, well, no, I think Gen Pop is a lot broader than that. Like, it's pretty much anyone's just not competing in a sport, which is a lot of people, especially after people realize that after their junior career, they're probably not making it. And then the sport itself becomes too much of a risk for them to actually compete 100% without being scared of, you know, not being able to work and support themselves. Like, that's such a, that's such a, a driver of fear for a lot of people. It's like, well, is it worth getting injured playing sport right now when it could really impact quality of life, when I really don't care about sport, where I'm not getting paid, I'm not progressing in it? So, yeah, I really just think gen pop is anyone not competing. And then when you look at it like that, that is a really, really broad population. And you can get guys, like most of my, my client lists don't compete right now, but, you know, a lot of them can run really fast and can lift bigger than some powerlifters I know. You know what I mean? Like it's not, uh, yeah. So I, I just think that gen pop athletes get a bad, like I would be gen pop. You know what I mean? Like most people, it's just anyone that's not competing. And, you know, I like to think of myself that would be, uh, you know, a really flat, fun client to coach. Um, someone that wants to get as strong as possible. Someone that wants to put on as much size as possible. Um, you know, get really lean when it comes down to it or run really fast or, you know, ride my bike really far. Like I think that's pretty, pretty cool because you still got that performance driven mindset that you would have developed through your younger years playing sport your entire life. Um, and a lot of people lose out on that the second that sport disappears. And it's like, well, you know, I've got two options. It's either the barbell or I've just got to try and be a bodybuilder. And that to a lot of performance-driven people is, um, and not the barbell so much because of how objective it is. I feel like uh, I feel like more people out of sport that want to stay fit get more drawn to bodybuilding and body comp. And that's like the only thing. But then that's so subjective. It's like, how do you know that you've improved that? You know, yeah, oh, you got a bit leaner and a bit bigger. It's like sick. The the barbell, I think, for performance driven people is just like, oh, all right, objective. I squatted two hundred kilos this time. I squatted two two twenty. You know, after that training cycle. Um, but I feel like a lot of people that just come straight out of sport don't get exposed to barbell training and powerlifting. It's just like you come out, you go to a commercial gym, everyone's training for body comp. You get a couple of guys in the corner training with a barbell, 
and that's pretty much it. And then people never really get into fitness post sport because it's like, well, you know, I don't really care like about just how I like just about how I look, but they care about performance and winning and improving. Um, but a lot of people don't get exposed to that. So anyway, that's my my definition of Gen Pop, redefinition of Gen Pop. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good point because it's. Yeah, like you said, a lot of it probably does get a bad rap, but the fact that it's not necessarily these people are just similar. They just have higher priorities in life, but they're still driven and have a goal. And I think that's where a lot of people think, "Oh, working gen pops just similar." Yeah, just body comp, not driven, don't have a goal. But there's still a lot of people out there, especially in Australia, with how many people play sports until their later later age and so on. That they still are competitive and, and they still want to do something and then if you can fill that void with a, a proper strength conditioning program then they can still you know do similar stuff uh another another point i thought you made that was that was good is uh how sport you said is like the limiting factor sometimes where you can't obviously that's their main thing that they're supposed to do obviously you're training them for that that's the most important part strength conditioning whatever is all the side aspect of trying to help improve that main thing but when you don't have sport you can really test them and push them because that's they don't have anything else that they have to worry about, obviously, from their normal, being able to walk for their job and so on. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah maybe maybe elaborate on that and, and talk a little bit more about that in yourself. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think a lot of like the sports performance methods that you can use are really cool and really fun. Like, you know, you could do some proper plyometric training, but then you could bring in powerlifting, which would be ideal because you can lift the biggest weights with the barbell and you can do your bodybuilding style training and then you've got conditioning. You can do everything pretty much. But with the sports, with, with an athlete that has a sport to focus on, you know, at the end of the day, like, your job as a strength and conditioning coach is to provide them with just enough to get that adaptation and no more because... If you're layering on more fatigue and more fatigue and more fatigue, you are not doing your job of giving them just enough. You're potentially going to affect their on-field, on-court, on whatever performance. Um, so it's like you could have all this sick shit in your toolbox to use with these athletes but never get to use it, man. As a sports strength and conditioning coach, as a strength and conditioning coach, you love training. You love the shit that you could potentially do but you know it's like, oh, like I'd love to give this to someone. Like, I don't know. We're just, I think like, uh, you know, strength coaches are pretty like weird people in that respect. Like, we love training. You know what I mean? And there's heaps of cool shit in training but you just can't use a lot of it because you know that it would just drill someone, um, especially when they've got a, you know, a primary goal of their sport. So I think the really cool thing is with gen pop clients is they don't have that sport anymore. So you could do all that shit and you could do it four times a week, five times, six times a week really if you're splitting their, their, their program up between strength and conditioning. Um, like there's a lot of room to play with and it's like, all right, well, we're not doing this to just improve the sport. We're literally just doing this to improve qualities of fitness, which I think is sick. Like it's literally like you're just training for a combine, like an NFL combine. Or a, or a basketball combat. You're literally just training muscular power. You're literally just training, you know, the repeat sprint, spin, uh, repeat sprint ability, their speed, their muscular injury, their muscular strength, whatever it is. Like, um, you're literally just training for the combine itself without any respect for the 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 the, the, the skills required for the sport. So you've got a lot of energy to devote to those fitness qualities and those fitness qualities only, um, which I think is really fun. Because you haven't just got one thing to put all your energy into. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, that's really cool because you can really develop that shit. Like the thing is when you've got multiple things to focus on, including the sport, it's like slow incremental gains, just enough to make progress. Minimum, the whole minimum effective dose thing, like whatever they can tolerate without dripping in any more unnecessary fatigue to not affect it. You got, there's a lot of moving parts when they're playing sport Um and, you know, that's the fun of that. But when talking about gen pop like and, and training people like athletes, like it's even, well, I wouldn't say it's even more fun. They're fun in their own respect, but it's really, it's really cool when you think of it like that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any examples or some cool stuff that you've tried or ways you've kind of experimented and, and, and learned some things with, with dealing with this, not having to worry about the sports? Yeah, well, everyone's training everything at once. Which, and they're improving everything at once a lot of the time 
like, you know, it's the whole concurrent training thing. It's like, oh, the interference effect. It's like, yeah, but, you know, you're not really dealing with anyone that's already maxed out their power, their speed, their strength, their bodybuilding. So I think that really starts to play in more like top end, you know, when you're, itch, when you're trying to inch for that little bit extra when you're at your, you know, quote unquote genetic potential. Um, so, you know, literally all the time, like guys are building mass, getting fitter, getting more powerful, and they're getting stronger, which is, I think it is really cool. And this isn't to say you're training everything at once, um, like to max abilities, because at some point, you know, some, you're going to find someone's like, man, I, I literally can't squat because of how much con- conditioning I'm doing, or I literally can't do this because I'm doing so much of that. And that's where priorities come into a little bit more. But, you know, I'm seeing guys at the moment get leaner, you know, hit their big lift PRs and then bam, running the, the most volume they've ever run in their entire life. Um, and guys that have trained for two, three years, four years, like consistency. Like people say they've trained for 10 years, but really how much of that is training? Like, you know, like how old are you? 25. 25. Like you hear everyone say, yeah, I've been training for 10 years since I was 15. Like, all right, I reckon six of that was bullshit. And then maybe you've, you know, figured out that, you know, real training is proper for a year. And then you worked out your nutrition that year after. All right, you've been training for about two and a half years. Like, really? <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's, yeah. A lot of, that's a lot of people. They say, I've been training for so long. It's like, man, you just squat 100 kilos with 10 reps. Like, you're not, like, you've been training for 15 years. You should be training, doing a little bit more than that. Like, it's, but anyway, that's, um, you know, that's the way I look at it. So you, you can progress everything. And that, that I think is the coolest part. Um, but then it's like, as you go through it, like obviously diminishing returns and all that. Um, and then you, that's when you start getting into a little bit more of the nitty gritty with it all. Yeah. And even as you said, with someone that has played sport at a high level, even if they played sport at a high level and then have stopped now, they probably, they might even be able to get in better shape than they were playing because it again isn't the fact that they're they don't have to worry about their sport as much and you can push them even stronger or even harder so 100 yeah. percent. i say that to, yeah. to so many of the guys starting up and it's like they don't believe it at first like man trust me you're not like when you when you put it like from a time investment standpoint like man you are at the game for three to four hours on a saturday or sunday whatever it is like not the game itself but rocking up before after everything Four hours there. If you train three times a week for two hours during the week, it's 10 hours a week of training. Doing that just solely strength and conditioning, like without sport demand, it's fucking heaps. Like that's a lot of quality training. No, quality training, if, you, if that's training, not sitting around your phone doing bullshit in the gym. Like 10 hours of proper training, like that's a lot of work for both strength and conditioning and power development, whatever it is. Like, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, I don't know, man. I was pretty fit. Like, yeah, just just hold on a little bit. Like, we're talking about the qualities. Of, so I'm not saying it'd be better at footy. Like, I never said yeah. that. <laughs> but the physical qualities themselves, we could probably get there again and far exceed them. Um, and then when they do it, it's a, it's a pretty cool feeling as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what would you say your... How do you how do you approach this a lot of times? So obviously, if you're just working, some people might have some more specific goals here and there. But do you have some general things that that you approach all of them, and, and things you try and make your your key focuses, and then obviously you um, individualize for more from those main ones. Yeah. So I feel like you know most of my demographic is between the age of twenty and, and thirty years old at the moment, um, and at the root of it all is a need and want to improve body composition. So that's the, the first and foremost, I would say. And because I, like I do the nutrition as well. So it depends on what they're looking to do nutritionally. Um, you know, if they want to, and this is where you'll start with the strength first, um, I guess. So it's like, all right, well, you've got a bit to lose weight-wise. Let's start with this. We're probably going to buy a, a split that looks like you're a bodybuilder pretty much. We're going to do this. Do you want to focus on big lifts? Yes or no? All right, sweet. We're going to do that in there as well because at some point, you're probably going to test this. But they'll probably train like a bodybuilder and then do that. Then from there, that determines how much conditioning they're going to do. Um, so it's like if strength and body composition is the focus, we're probably going to have conditioning at just enough to see improvements, which for a lot of people is generally two times a week. 
Um, and it really depends on their schedule. I'm just talking about best case. The person that is has got you know six days a week to train, probably lift four times, and then do conditioning twice a week. Um, and, and that's where we'd start. So it's like, determine, do they want to improve body comp? Yes or no? Sweet, we'll probably go lift like a bodybuilder and do conditioning twice a week there. Um, and then from there is their strength and power stuff that just goes through it. And that's just generally pre-work. Two to three exercises pre- and then they just go from there. Um, so that's really the rough split for a lot of people. Um, but then for a lot of people, like six days training like that is a lot. Then you might have a guy that who's pretty happy with his body comp, wants to get stronger, and wants to get really fit. Um, it, it really comes down to the priorities. You know what I mean? Like if the guy just really wants to get jacked and look good and then also just not be a slob, we'll probably go the 4-2. Someone that really wants to focus on hard conditioning but also look really good and get stronger, we'll probably do like, you know, free strength and then and free conditioning. But these are just like sort of rough, rough things. Um, I just find that, I guess this is talking about more like the whole like interference thing. Um, that there is, I don't think with that, you know, especially if the training age is that low, interference is less of an issue and it's more about maximizing output. Um and just recovery and just making days are spaced pretty much. Like even if you lift three days back to back, you're going to be buckled. You know what I mean? And it's just like spacing out the week in a way that's the most important um, for a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, for sure. And then you obviously will have your priorities depending on their goals and so on. Uh, but is there, is there things you try and play with? Because you talked about, you know, your concurrent training and trying to balance multiple different qualities at the same time. Uh, are, there, are there ones you're always going to try and keep in there as well? And, and then obviously, um, you, you, as we talked kind of before the show, a lot of people will do those bodybuilding. They will just do, you know, more of that type of training, but you have some other ones that you try to include as well to, to keep you more uh, athletic, if you want to say, or help you move better and so on for the longer term. That's not always done in the gen pop, quote-unquote, population. Yeah, yeah. So... I always try to keep some degree of an aerobic stimulus in, always. Like, that'll always be one day, and then it'll be like a steady state day for a lot of people. Just as some, just as something. If they're really focusing on body comp um, and their strength performance, it'll just be something that, you know, I, I recommend something of a lower eccentric uh, load. So usually not running, because I've got a lot of guys that don't care for running. They just want to be fit. Um so that would be what I recommend. If it was someone that wanted to run, it'd just be like a real low intensity, just steady state run. So there's some aerobic stimulus in there. That would be almost a constant across the board, um, I guess, for training sort of like concurrently, just because I think there is, you know, there, there's a lot of benefits to gain from doing such a small amount. Um, and that it is very quick to redevelop. So if there's already some sort of like maintenance volume in there, you're going to have no drama switching to a phase that's more focused on conditioning. Um, so that, that'll always stay constant. There'll generally be some variation of squat, bench, or deadlift for a lot of people. Like, uh, you know, I have some guys that just want to test an SSB and test their trap, their trap bar and like almost like a powerlifting meet, um, like that. So there'll always probably be some exposure to those skills throughout because I think that proficiency that in those movements is less like uh, strength but the expression of it. So the ability to just make sure you're technically sound year-round in those patterns is probably going to allow you to, you know, when you do focus on a more strength-biased block and you really want to try and maximize, you know, your one rep max in those movements, it's going to be a lot easier going to singles when you've done so many repetitions year-round. So that'll always be in there, depending on the individual, um, you know, because, again, it's like the whole... If I, if I look at it, it'll be like you're a powerlifter, that bodybuilds, that also runs and does whatever else or some combination of that, you know what I mean? So there's always going to be some sort of stimulus from, from all three or four when we start talking about power as well. And then with power, there will always be some throws of sorts, like, you know, we don't want to just be like locked into the, the you know, the whole sagittal squat bench dead, we're only pressing this movement, like that's the only thing we're doing. It's like, no, we still want to be able to, you know, maintain some degree of movement options, the ability to 
be exposed to something outside of sagittal plane. Like they can still change direction, they can still rotate, they can still throw. Um, so that'll always be in there. And then jumps will always be in there, but it's just the degree. So it's like I'll always have, you know, some amount of extensive plyometrics. So they're just their ability to, you know, repeat efforts like an ankle jump pogo, like even like the, the sort of, like the, you know, the Altus rudiment jump series. I don't know if you've, it's just that, you know, the forward back, whatever it is, that, like that will always stay in there for a lot of people. Um, and they're the bare minimums, I find a lot of the time. And then, you know, for the, for the person, it's like body comp as well. It's like, all right, well, we can start to look to tailor their accessory work in a way that is less fatiguing, less systemically fatiguing. And I find, you know, position will drive systemic fatigue or different positions. And it's the whole like, all right, well, if they're running or doing some conditioning focus, there is already a big like extension load, systemic extension load there. If they're doing big lifts, there probably is there. So like resistance of flexion in the deadlift is extension. Bench press, if they're arching, there's a big extension like there. Squat, again, resistance of flexion and then pr- production of force to get out of hole extension. So then it's like, all right, well, if my access, if all, if most of my work is centered around this, then does my accessory work need to be so focused on that as well? And this is where we start biasing more flexion-based positions like, you know, uh, like you'd be doing like SSB split squats with a heel reference if you wanted or a, a two dumbbell split squat with a heel reference. You'd be doing hook line presses where it's biased towards a little bit more flexion. So it's just literally fatigue management because again, although they don't have their sport, we do want to try and maximize performance on all these different qualities. If we can reduce fatigue somewhere while still keeping the stimulus, that is what we're looking for. You know what I mean? Like we don't want to just go fucking output, redline everything um, because people get beat up. Like, you know, they, they do get beat up with the heavy sagittal focused work like it's just it's just the reality of it like you know there might not be any science to say it but fuck me you do a block like that you're gonna feel like your shoulders and hips are getting beat up real quick and low back which isn't a problem it's not a problem you need that shit for performance but like again it's just managing fatigue because you want to try as long as the training block is maximize performance throughout those four six eight weeks whatever you do or however long your block goes for you know yeah, 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 and that's with even though there's not sport there, being able to still, you know, you're still gonna have loads you're gonna have to manage of some sort, so you're not overdoing it with them. But you can still you can push more than you would in, in sport within the strength conditioning realm. And then, as you said, managing multiple aspects with strength, power, conditioning, body comp as well. But and then obviously tailoring that to them. And I think how you ran through everything made sense of, of how to reason when to bias each one or go go more towards like that uh with a, i guess a really common theme with this type of population especially former athletes is going to be previous injuries and and still dealing with with these sometimes so is there certain ways that you go about uh dealing with that or, and and how do you uh factor that in as well yeah so it's generally with a long ass conversation at the start. <laughs> that's that's really it. Like, um, you know, we were we were really big on movement assessments and, and table tests um, at the start, but it's like you you're only going to know someone really really well from conversation and what they've gone through um, training wise, what they're scared of. That's the biggest one. Like, you'll have so many guys come in. It's like, man, I did this, I did that, I did this. I can never squat again. I can never floor press again or bench press, sorry. I can never do this again. It's like, oh, fuck, man. Like, someone's been in your ear. Um, and a lot of it is just working around that and asking them a fair few times through the assessment, um, you know, what's the go here? Because it's more about, like, what they're scared of than anything else. Like, unless someone's been through it and, like, not through it, not like your general sports injuries. Like, I don't know, man. I'm thinking of something extreme, which I've never seen before. Like multiple car crashes where everything's been broken in their body. Like, you're not going to get someone that can't do movements a lot of the time. Like, yeah, there's some, like, contraindications, not do this here, let's not do that there. But, man, more often than not, you generally find that if you if you have someone with the general sports injuries, they're probably going to be able to do absolutely everything at some point. I think the biggest thing is just, like, can you do this? No. All right, what can you do? 
all right, let's do this really, really well. And then we'll go from there. Um, Cause you'll find a lot of people. It's just like, all right, I mean, I can't squat to depth. I hurt my back playing sport once. And it's like, all right, well, let's do something that you're fine with. It's a whole graded exposure thing. Like do a little bit more, do a little bit more graded exposure and like, you know, manipulation. Oh, you did that. All right, let's do this. And it's just like, it's that whole thing. Um, so you just find where someone is so comfortable doing all the things that you ask of them at the start. And then you just slowly build up, whether that's range of motion or load or whatever else. Um, and that's usually the approach for a lot of people. Like, and it, you know, that works with so many people, just the graded exposure approach and basic things. Like there's only, you know, I, I can't really think of that many people that I've had to just refer out from day one. Um, you know, you, you introduce them to the physio that works at, like at, at, the, at the gym that we're at, but, you know, that's in future if they need it. <laughs> Usually day one, it's like, we're not looking for shit you can't do. Um, but we don't want to, I don't want to make anyone feel like they can't do anything on day one. It's like, you literally just paid me for an assessment and to train. It's like, oh man, you know, this assessment found you can't do this. Fuck that. Like, that's shit. Like, this guy, this, this guy or girl or whoever it is is so performance-driven, they came in for you to tell them they can't do anything and they've already been told they can't do it from someone else potentially. It's like, all right, what do you think? Like, what, what are you good with? All right, sweet, let's do that. Watch them squat, watch them bench, watch them deadlift, watch whatever exercise they want to do and then tailor it based off that individual's needs and, and history and fears, um, I think is the biggest one. But, yeah, there's, I feel like there's no sort of set in stone with it. Like, right now, it's like we're not doing table tests to be like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, we've got to do this intervention to make sure that we improve, you know, your shoulder flexion. Like, we're not, we're not looking for that. Um, I think more than anything, it's like you find someone that presents with a really common compensation. The easiest one's always extension. It's like, all right, well, let's test your hip flexion. Sweet. All right, let's do our basic sort of like context drills that show you how to find a, you know, a quote unquote good position to load. And it's like, oh, we've cleared up hip flexion when you retest it. And it's like, see how good it is to have position of your rib and pelvis when trying to get depth? Yeah, sick. All right, and that's it. You never do it again. It's just a basic teaching tool for a lot of people and that's that. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess that would be the extent really, man. Like we don't go too hard with it and just find what they can do and do it really, really well. Yeah, I like, I like the the shift in in thought what instead of having a a more of a performance driven of what can you do instead of what can't you do and well you might take that into consideration what they can't do there's no point in telling them that obviously it's it's seeing what they can do to build up their confidence and hopefully one day do something that they probably can't do correct is that i'm assuming a lot of times you'll even see people you know day one can't do this three months down the line with you they're back doing stuff that they might have never done or, or never done since a major injury right yeah no 100 percent, 100 percent, and that, that's usually it's just starting at the start doing what they can do really well and then i think a lot of the people will be fine and a lot of the time surprised as well it's like and i think a big thing with this as well is don't like if someone says they can't do something something don't force them to do it on day one like it's almost like a flex for a lot of people. Like, oh, you can't do this? Let me show you. <laughs> like, it's like, man, just fucking, just kick it. Like, if the person says they're scared of doing something, you have to push them into doing it day one. Like, I wouldn't say that's exactly the best trust builder on day one. Just like, oh, you know, you don't want to do that? Sweet. All right, maybe down the track, we'll get up to a point where we can do it. They can probably do it the next day, a lot of the time. But it's just like, you don't have to do that. Like, you don't have to you know, flex on your clients. They've already come to you. They're already paying you. Like, do your best with them and then build trust. Like, that's that's number one. I feel like a lot of, you know, and strength coaches in that regard have got, like, a, a little chip on the shoulder. I've done it before. Like, you know, everyone's done it before, I feel. Um, it's like, oh, you got back pain? Sweet. Deadlift hard today. <laughs> and it's just like, you can probably get them to do it just by cleaning up the technique a little bit. But, you know, you can scare the shit out of them in the process. <laughs> like, just... You don't need to do that. That's, I don't know, that's, that's side, side thought, side note. <laughs> no, no, that makes sense. <laughs> um, I guess how you mentioned before, you're, the people you see don't necessarily, obviously they're coming to see you for a reason. So motivation usually isn't a big issue for you. But 
Other times you see that uh, after training for so long, the motivation dips or or even maybe they're coming to you but they're slightly hesitant or other things come up in their life and obviously those, you know, while it's not sport, you know, it's something else we'll have to, you know, family, job, et cetera, that's a really important part that you're going to have to modify for. Um, is there certain ways you like to deal with motivation and, and, and help with that and keep training as high and, and as at the same time as making sure it fits their life? Yeah, so... It, like it, like I, I don't know. I'll just use the most current example, or the two most current examples I've got. Um, you know, just that spring to mind. It's like, well, right now I'm in Victoria. Like, there's so many people in lockdown. Um, Motivation is a big one for a lot of people, and you know, I, I I really do like sort of like this hybrid concurrent, you know, focus. But I, I do have a lot of people that still come to me. Like, I just want big lifts, and I just want to get as big as I can. Um, and right now, that may not be a reality or, or, or something that's feasible for a lot of them. Um, but they know that I could write a decent conditioning program or I can you know, sort them out with power and plyometric. And it's like, although that, you know, they're not working on the thing that they love, they know that potentially being a little bit fitter can set that up in the long term. And, and I think a really easy way of, you know, keeping motivation going over the long term is like, all right, well, you know, maybe my progress is slowing down in this, but I can really excel at something else. Um, and I think that is a really, really fun thing with training like this. Um, so that's that's something that I find from a fitness quality standpoint is that there's always something to improve. Like you're never going to be an absolute gun at all three in the space of a year, let alone two years, three years. You know what I mean? And you're not going to see gains slow to a rate that aggressively unless you're focusing on one of those qualities only for three years. You know what I mean? That's an arbitrary number, but... It's not going to happen. So, and this is where focusing on something that that individual may not have really been passionate about before, it might sound a lot more appealing to them now. It's like, man, you fuck, you know, I'm really over just squatting, benching, deadlifting heavy right now. I need something that a little bit different. It's like, oh, sick. All right, let's do this. And then, you know, that actually sounds all right. Like, let's do it. Like, you might not get the powerlifter to start running tomorrow, but, you know, something <laughs> different. Um, or vice versa, you know what I mean? It's, it's something different. I think that's enough to keep motivation going long enough. Like I can use myself as an example. Like last year, lockdown, I had equipment at home. I was really curious about just pushing endurance and like just Ks on the bike and Ks running. Um, not just short distance. Spe- like I was just like, how much can I run and ride and still develop strength to a point? Um, and that was sick to me. Like that was fun as for a period and I was like you know what I'm pretty over it like right now I did a Movember challenge where I was just like I, don't know, I didn't like pace it very well um, and the last week I had to do like 200k rides and like a couple of 50k's and it was just like well, alright I'm pretty over this now I'm not over my bike I really like it and I really like feeling fit but I don't think I've done an extended like year of training properly like a bodybuilder with what I know now about nutrition, whatever else. So let's do this for a bit. And, you know, I found that not having to attach to a specific mode of fitness or like identity, like I'm a runner or I'm a powerlifter or I'm a fucking bodybuilder or whatever else, has really brought like new life to my own training. I don't speak for myself and, you know, a lot of my clients have, have, have felt this, but it's just, I, I don't know, I feel like it's liberating not having to be like, oh, you know, this is me, like, this is, you know, I, you identify with your, your form of fitness. It's like, no, actually, like, do whatever the fuck you want, man. Like, just because, and I, I, I got sucked into that, you know, going into a powerlifting gym. I'm like, well, I'm a powerlifting now. You know I mean, I said it earlier. You get real sucked into it. Like, I'm going to do what everyone else is doing. It's like, well, no, you don't. You're just going to do whatever, whatever the fuck you want, really. And just do that until you get bored and do something else. Because I think the name of the game post-athletic career is how long can you keep up with some sort of fitness in the long term? You know, ideally it's until, you know, you're on your last legs. Um, Just doing things that you can enjoy for as long as possible, I think is super important. This may sound like, well, it's not very performance-based. It's like, no, (laughs) still chase performance as best as you can. Just did whatever you really like at that time, um, which I think is a big one. And then I think the second thing that I've found um, that helps motivation is, you know, longer-term planning. Like there's been this sort of like pendulum swing to like, you know, you can't predict adaptation, which I agree with. 
So it's just bottom-up planning, develop the microcycle, and then adapt to the environment around you, which I'm all for. Like, I, I really think that that's a very important thing to do, like the, the, react, the emerging strategies, sort of like Mike Tushera, um, you know, RPA, auto-regulation, like that, all that, like that sort of umbrella of programming, I think is very important. Change one variable at a time. Let's monitor athlete response and then go from there and just keep doing this sort of cycle. And it's like, you know, I had a powerlifter that ran a block for 24 weeks and like with deloads obviously and with slight changes of accessories but like the reps didn't change on anything like this guy just kept getting stronger but if you've got a guy and he's got a very specific goal I want to improve my squat bench and deadlift and he was improving so it's like why change anything but then you've got the guy that is you know a father of two he likes conditioning likes getting out on his mountain bike or loves Squat, bench, and dead, like SSB, trap bar, whatever else. Sort of interested in body composition. But, you know, you train for a bit, you go through a body comp cycle, and you go through a strength, and then you do, you go like that. You're like, oh, what the fuck am I training for? Like, and it gets a little mundane, just repeating. It's like, all right, body comp now, all right, strength now. It's like, well, this is where, all right, let's look at this in the space of a year, man. I think that if we focus on conditioning through summer for you, it's gonna be more enjoyable. Like the guy, lives, like the guy I'm thinking of, you live in Queensland, man. Fuck, get outside. Like when it's hot, enjoy it. Like I think that's a good time to really focus on conditioning. And the second it's done, I'm sure you're gonna be bone shredded because of how much conditioning you've done. Like appetite's probably gonna be down. You're not gonna be eating heaps. You sort of want to look good through summer. All right, let's just sit at maintenance through here because you're relatively lean. The second it's done, though, let's swap to bodybuilding. We're going to go 16 weeks in a bodybuilding focus phase. We're going to go to maintenance for conditioning and we're going to maintenance volume for your, for your strength work. We do that for 16 weeks. We're in the heart of winter now. Let's just focus on the strength peak. Let's do that. Sweet. All right. We've got another 12 weeks or 10 weeks or whatever it is till summer. We've put on some serious mass. Let's cut. Let's bring conditioning up and let's go into summer again and really enjoy this. And I think that gives a lot of purpose for a lot of people with their training knowing what's next and knowing how they're going to structure a year and how they're actually going to develop their body composition, develop their fitness, build their strength, stuff like that. It's like, it's just nice knowing that, especially like a lot of my clients really care about fitness and a lot of them are coaches. Um, so knowing like the physiological reasoning, how like this phase will actually potentiate this phase and the next one and the next one and it aligns with the seasons and you doing what you enjoy. Like it's just... I feel like that has been a big shift for me um, with planning and because and, and, motivation is a big one, man. Like, see, you like all these fucking like discipline zealots are like, you know, like, wasn't motivated for this session, brother, but I got through it. You know, discipline, it's like, oh, shut the fuck up, man. Like, like seriously, like people just want to enjoy training and like keep doing it for as long as possible. Um, and I found that has been a really nice way for a lot of my clients to... Um, you know, keep that motivation. It's like, all right, well, I know that I'm 12 weeks in this bodybuilding block. I'm sick of eating this much food and I'm sort of over these similar accessories I've been doing the entire time. I just want to lift heavy. But they've got four more weeks to push it out. It's nice, you know? Whereas with the, you know, the powerlifter, you could run the same shit forever or, or with it, like and minor changes because if they're seeing that performance metric change, they're seeing the numbers go up. Who gives a shit if it's the same? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so their, their motivation, like, they're, they're, that's, that's, it's being fed. Like, they know they're, they're improving. So why change anything? Whereas, you know, the person that's just training for whatever, they need a little bit. And I feel like that's been sort of the remedy for, uh, I guess, that longer-term planning for just training post-athletic career. Yeah, I like that. Because I, I was going to ask, you know, obviously – changing up and stuff that that can develop um you know a new appreciation or a new motivation or finding something trying something different you know so a lot of people like that but obviously then there is that fine line if you change every three four weeks you're never going to get anything you know if you don't dedicate it for a while so i think that was a i like that example of of the seasons how you did and, and still change it so there is like i said there is that fine line like changing up and so on that's great and you you're all for that but there's also you know you have to have some structure to where you, you push enough to get an adaptation that's going forward then progress into the next one and not just changing up every so often, like every really frequently so you're not getting much at all. Exactly, exactly. And, and like shit changes as well. It's never set in stone. Like that's, 
That's that's the the big one as well. It's like set it. If it goes ahead, goes ahead. The guy goes, I want to do a powerlifting meet. All right, sick. Like just give me adequate notice, and <laughs> the plan will get changed to to cater with that, to cater to that. Because I'm like, oh, I want to do a triathlon now. Like, All right, perfect. Well, you know, we haven't completely stopped doing conditioning work. We can do that. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, the, the plan is just like if there's there's nothing planned ahead, and even if there is, the plan will be catered to that. So it's like it's it's nice to do that, and it's something that I've definitely come back to more. Like you know, when you first get into it and you read the periodization books, and you're like, all right, fuck, I'm gonna do this long term plan, and then it just never pans out. Like it just it just never does. Um, especially in sport. I, especially in sport. You know, what the funny thing is, I think the periodization models work better with people that don't play sport <laughs> like they just they just end up do, they just work better but um yeah that's a different discussion yeah no no thank you very much for that um maybe is there any like one or two key points you you want to hone in on from from this talk because i think uh, i think you made a bunch of great ones here um i reckon that the easiest one if training like this would be maintain some degree of all qualities at any one time all right, so you, whatever your maintenance volume, whatever you think that is, do that. And it'll generally be enough that won't negatively affect whatever quality that you are prioritizing at that time. That's probably the biggest one. Um, from a training standpoint, um, and then, yeah, from a motivation standpoint, I guess I didn't say this explicitly, but like pendulum swing in fitness, like aggressively. And I just look at the way that I was thinking about, you know, long-term planning, for example, it's like use bits, <laughs> like use bits of things from everywhere. Like if the pendulum swung in that direction for a little while, there's probably some utility in that method or that principle. So to completely throw it out when the pendulum swings the other way is probably not that wise. Um, and I guess that comes in the context of, of yeah, motivation and long-term planning. But it happens with so much shit, like in, in just in fitness and sports performance. Um, so that would be my, my second point, just something that I've been thinking about a little bit more and more lately. Yeah, perfect. Well, thanks for, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to do this. If, if you just want to share, I know you have Instagram. If, it, if there's any other place where people can follow the stuff um, you do or share or get in contact with you, um, if you want to share those, I'm happy to put those in the show notes as well. Yeah, sweet. So my Instagram is just my name, but without my full last name. So it's just Jamie B O U Z. Full last name is a bit longer than that. Um, and then the most of the other content I put out is through the Melbourne Strength Culture YouTube channel. So uh, a lot of the stuff that we all do is through Melbourne Strength Culture, the Instagram, but the YouTube channel will my head's on there a little bit more frequently, along with the other boys. Um, so yeah, they're the two best places to find me. Perfect. Thanks again. Sweet. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.